0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. It's really good to see you all. Uh, If you have your Bibles, John 15, Uh, we've been walking through a series, again, on the idea of just life in the Word, both in the person and in the text. And uh, what I want to do this evening is talk very specifically about this idea of life in the text. Uh, We've been talking about getting into the word the last couple of weeks. And we've been talking about abiding. We talked about that, I think, the very first uh, study in this particular series. And I want to kind of combine them tonight and then kind of take it one step further. Uh, So we've been walking through and looking at this idea the last couple of weeks, this idea of what is the purpose for coming to Scripture? And again, just this is review, but just as a reminder, uh, the reason we come to the word is not because we have to, uh, not because it's homework, not because there's a thumb on our back. Uh, It's not because, you know, if we flick the pages, it wards off demons. Uh, It's not because of the, you know, a chapter day keeps the devil away kind of stuff. The reason we get into the word is to know the author. And then as the outflow of that, we long for him to change our lives. So again, the reason we come to the word is is to have intimacy, to have greater depth of understanding. It's to get enriched in the person of Christ. And as we get to know him, allowing him to radically uh, change our lives. Uh, Last time we were looking at Luke chapter 15 and the Emmaus road scene and just that idea of what would it look like if we, as we come to the scriptures, allow Jesus to give us the revelation of himself in the word. And as we get into this book, what would it look like if in that revelation of his person, that we would begin to experience that heartburn that we were talking about last weekend from Luke 15. So if you take all of that, I want to come in to this idea of this, this idea of what does it mean to abide in the word? And again, I think it was the first study we, we looked at this passage, but let me just give a highlight from John 15, verse four and five. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I've mentioned this before, but again, just for the sake of review, that word abide is the Greek word minnow. Uh, which is a really fascinating term. It's this idea to like sink down into, to rest, to remain, to hold tight to something. Uh, I think my favorite definition is to refuse to depart. So, so what is the branch doing to the vine? It is refusing to depart. It is clinging. It is embracing. It's not letting go. This is, this is, this is the very source of life. And I, I've, got, I've got to hold tight to this. And I really like how one of the lexicons translates this. They translate the word "meno" or the word abide as an inward, enduring, personal communion. Isn't that phenomenal? So what does it mean to abide? It means to have this inward, personal, enduring communion with the, the very life source. And we talked about the fact that we need to have that with Jesus. But isn't it interesting in the scriptures, Jesus says, not only should we be abiding in him, we should be abiding in the word, the text of scripture. Uh, let me just give you a few passages, a few verses after the one I just read you in John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Isn't it an amazing thought that his words are to rest, dwell, sink down into, hold tight to, have an inward enduring personal communion with us, that we should be living in the word, abiding in the word, just as we abide in Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So if you call yourself a Christian and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, according to Jesus, what that requires or what that demands is that we abide, we rest, we sink down into, we have an inward personal enduring communion with his words. Isn't that just an incredible thought That, that I can abide, not just in, the living word, Jesus, but I could actually get into these scriptures and begin just to live in this thing and to sink down into this thing and hold tight to this thing and, and have an inward enduring personal communion with this with this book. And that is, that's that's Jesus' longing in our lives. Uh, if you fast forward to 1 John, listen to what John says. He's writing and he's breaking into the three categories, but he says, I've written to you fathers because you have known him, Jesus, who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, listen to this, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So he's looking at the church saying, guys, I'm writing to you, you who's the word of God dwells within. Wouldn't it be, again, just phenomenal if your life, if someone's gonna describe your life, if one of the ways they described your life was, oh, they just live in the word. They're just so drenched and saturated and focused. And they they are just so tight with the word. It's just like, they just, the word just comes out of them all the time. I don't know if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, uh, but here's John Bunyan writing it from a prison cell. And as you read through Pilgrim's Progress, it is just stunning to me how many quotations from scripture he mentions. It's like you read along, you're like, that's scripture, that's scripture, that's scripture, that's scripture. And you're like, how on earth could he just weave all of this scripture into this phenomenal little story? I think the reason is, is because he was living in this thing. He was constantly dwelling and abiding in the word. And when you abide in this thing and you begin to meditate upon it day and night, as David says, then what begins to happen is this thing starts to just, you're just consumed with it. And you're just constantly thinking and pondering and talking. It just comes out of your life. So in light of all of that, I really want to get to the focus of of where I'm going with this and ponder this idea. What would it mean for you to realize that the author of this book actually lived inside of you? Uh, There's this grand shift in my life, probably 20 something years ago now, when I began to realize that, and we've talked about this, but the author of this book, God himself, right, is, is really using every page of this book to declare who he is. He is screaming in your face, this is all about Jesus and the work upon the cross. I mean, the whole scriptures from the Old Testament, Genesis 1-1, all the way through the maps, because even the geography points to Jesus, that, that everything points to the reality of Christ. And he is the author of this, and he's screaming, he's, he's yelling in your face who he is. What if you begin to realize And again, this is a huge changing point in my life when I realized the author of this book and the author where everything is about that author, he actually lives inside of my life. So hold that thought. I want to give you a contrast. And it's this idea, studying the Bible, and this should really excite you. So please contain your excitement. Please keep the cheering to a minimum. But studying the Bible is not like studying Shakespeare. Isn't that phenomenal? That is so encouraging to me. Now, I don't, I don't know what your experience uh, with Shakespeare is. Uh, I remember in high school, I really enjoyed like Romeo and Juliet. I enjoyed Taming the Shrew. I didn't really enjoy anything else. I think, uh midnight, Summer's Midnight Dream, whatever that one is. Uh, the dream during the midnight thing of summer. Uh, I like that one, even though I can't obviously remember anything about it. But outside of that, I really, I could care less about Shakespeare especially the sonnets. I hated the sonnets. And I remember in high school having to study the sonnets, and I remember opening the sonnets, and I would read the sonnet, and I always had the same response. No matter what sonnet it was, you can just give me whatever the number, I, I could tell you what my response would have been. It was always, huh? Because it never made sense. It's almost like he had to have been like sleepwalking and writing the sonnets or he had like one too many Diet seven ups the night before as he's writing. And, and he's just, he's a lot, I, I could not understand the sonnet. Now here's, here's the problem with studying Shakespeare and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or, you know, pop their bubble, but Shakespeare is dead. <laughs> I know it's like the Titanic sinking. It's like, what Do you realize that when you study Shakespeare, you cannot walk up to Shakespeare with your sonnet and go, like, what were you thinking? Like, explain this to me because he's not here. But do you realize how incredible studying this book is? Because the author of this book is not merely alive. He actually lives inside of you. So as you come into the scriptures, what is so phenomenal to me is that this thing is not like studying Shakespeare at all. Because as you come into this book, if you come to something that is confusing, you actually have access to the author himself who will give you wisdom and insight and revelation in the knowledge of who he is. Do you know how phenomenal that is? And again, about 20 years ago, there's a shift that happened in my life when I began to understand that the very person that I'm wanting to study and know through the text, the author himself isn't just out there somewhere. He actually is indwelling my life through his Holy Spirit. And that changes everything as it relates to abiding in the word. Uh, One of my favorite passages in light of all of this is, uh, is, is just, if you flip over a page, to John chapter 16. And again, it's in the same upper room discourse. Jesus in chapter 13 washed the disciples' feet. In chapters 14 and 15, he's talking about this incredible reality of God dwelling with you and you dwelling with God and this abiding relationship. And then he comes into chapter 16 and he's, he's given this encouragement to the disciples. And listen to what Jesus says in, in John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I've talked about this passage so many times, but for those of you who may not have heard me go through this, if I was one of the disciples and I was sitting in the upper room and I was listening to Jesus, I know it would not have been polite, but when Jesus said, Hey, I'm telling you the truth, it's to your advantage that I leave, I would have been like, Excuse me, Jesus, you're wrong. And I know you just said you're telling us the truth, but you're wrong because it is not to my advantage that you leave. And I can prove that to you. If we had the physical, literal Jesus standing in front of us, you, without a doubt, I know every single one of you would be like, Nathan, sit down. We're listening to Jesus. <laughs> you know? And you wouldn't even have to tell me because I would want to sit down and just listen to Jesus too. And you got to admit, how many times in your life have you prayed for something like, Jesus, if, if I could just, could you just be so clear about whatever it is that you're calling me to? Or, or Jesus, could you just, could, could you give me a burning bush experience? Could, could you just, could you write it in like neon letters in the sky? I mean, could you just, I mean, could you imagine if we had the physical presence of our savior with us and you could slap him on the back and ask him questions and laugh with him and, and you can engage, you know, that would be far better than him leaving. Would it not be? And yet Jesus says, actually, it's a really good thing that I'm leaving. And I, 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 you have to, that's a hard thing, folks. But why does Jesus say it's actually better that he leaves? Look at this. He says, for if I do not go away, the advocate or the helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, ponder this. This is so crazy to me. According to Jesus, Jesus, What you have in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, right? Which came after Pentecost, that according to Jesus is better than what the disciples had when they were walking with him for three and a half years and slapping him on the back and, and, you know, roasting fish over the fire and cracking the jokes. And according to Jesus, what you have right now in this moment, if you're a believer is better than what Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples had walking with Jesus, and you got to admit, that's crazy. Because again, I'm just being honest. I would look at it and go, I would rather have Jesus, the physical presence of Jesus. But again, according to Jesus, what you have is better. Why? Do you recognize that if the literal physical presence of Jesus was here, he would be limited to one place and one time. And because I'm his favorite, we'd always be hanging out together you know, which means if you want to come hang out with Jesus, you're going to have to come over and hang out with me and Jesus. I'm being facetious. But, but, but do you realize that we would have to get in a line and we'd have to, you know, wait our turn and we'd pick the number and, and wait wait for our, for our opportunity to spend time with Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, that's phenomenal. But do you recognize that I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to send forth my spirit and my literal presence, my spirit is actually going to indwell your life. And you actually get to You get to have me everywhere you go. Jesus says, that's a lot better than me being there. Now we understand that in the eternities that we get both. We get the infilling of the presence of God and we get the literal presence of Jesus. That's incredible. Can't wait. Haven't you ever wondered or looked back at scripture and looked at guys like David, Esther, maybe not Elijah or Jeremiah, but like some some of the, you know, some of the big guys in, in Christian history have been like, oh man, if I could just have what they had. Do you know how ridiculous that is in light of the New Testament? Because we look back and we're like, look look at what they had in terms of the intimacy. Look at their obedience. Look at what Abraham had. Look at what David had. Look at what Daniel had, had access to. And do you realize that every single one of the Old Testament characters, if you were to talk to them, would have said, what are you thinking? I, I will trade places with you in a heartbeat. Because the, the yearning all throughout the Old Testament is, oh, there's, there's coming a day that, that what we have written on tablets of stone is going to be written on the tablets of, of your heart. That, that what we have in this momentary, he, he, he's there, but he's not there. We have him, but we don't have him. Man, you get to have him for life and the, the richness of the indwelling of his presence. And, and I, I guarantee you every Old Testament character would have said, if I can pick at any time to live, it's during your days. It's when you have the access to the very presence of God living within you, which really means we have no excuse. You you do realize? Because if Abraham and David and Daniel and Esther and the whole crowd could live as they did without, most of them without the written scriptures, without the influence of the Holy Spirit, we have no excuse. Because we have we have the totality of the word and we, we have the influence of the Holy Spirit. But but again, come back to this idea of what Jesus is saying in John chapter 16. He says, "It's actually phenomenal that I leave, because if I leave, I'm actually going to come and indwell your life through my spirit, and I'm going to be with you every waking moment, which maybe is scary for some of us. But you can't get away from that. And Jesus says, "Do you know how good that is?" Now Jesus goes on, and he says this in verse eight through 11. He says, when, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, listen to what Jesus says next. In verse 13 and 14, he says, but when he, get this, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose it to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take up mine and he will disclose it to you. Did you hear what one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is? The role of the Holy Spirit is to actually guide you unto truth, that he is actually going to glorify Jesus. And we've talked about that around here before, but it isn't interesting that the more spirit filled you are, the less you actually talk about the Spirit and the more you talk about Jesus. Because what the Holy Spirit is constantly doing is he's getting out of the way and literally lifting up Jesus, saying, "Oh, look at Jesus,, Ooh, let's talk about Jesus." And he's really glorifying Jesus. That's one of his main roles. But then look at what he also says. He says that he's going to guide you into all truth. Now think how cool this is. Jesus says, "Here's the spirit of truth." And in John 14:6, Jesus says, "I am the truth." So you have the spirit of truth, which is the spirit of Jesus, who's really going to guide you into all truth. Not just facts and data and information, but we're talking about Jesus, who is the truth. So what the Holy Spirit's gonna do then as the Holy Spirit lives inside of you is the Holy Spirit is gonna grab you by the hand and march you into Jesus. So you do not have to be smart. You don't even have to be good looking to get on in this. The, the, the Holy Spirit can only like take his word. He's going to glorify Jesus. Remember this. He's going to take you and march you into Jesus. And he's going to give you wisdom and insight and the knowledge of who he is. And what's beautiful is that word guide uh, isn't just like giving directions. Like, like I can guide you right over to, to King Supers, right? Just turn out in this row, go straight and poof, you're there. That, that's not this word. This word has the idea of, of closeness. This idea has like, I'm grabbing you by the hand and I'm walking with you. And I'm saying, hey, there's a pothole. Watch over there. Oh, come over here. Turn turn left. And I'm literally with, going with you in this guiding unto something. So the Holy Spirit in your life isn't just gonna say, there he is. Go, go, go after him. He's gonna grab you by the spiritual hand and he's gonna march you and say, hey, let's go to Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing to realize that the God of the universe who wrote this book all about himself actually lives inside of you. And what he actually wants to do through his indwelling spirit is to take your life and literally lead you onto Jesus. So really quickly then there's some two takeaways or two practical thoughts with all of this. Uh, Number one is what would it look like then if you read and studied the Bible with the author See, for a lot of us, it's, it's coming to scripture as a checkoff thing. And we're just trying to get it done. And we're trying to, you know, get to the next activity. But what if we realize that I'm not just wanting to get to know the author as I'm reading. I actually want to spend time with the author while I'm reading. And what if, as I come to the word, what if the, the burden of my heart is, oh God, could you, through the indwelling of your spirit, give me wisdom and insight into you? Could, could, you, could you lead me into truth? And could, could you give me a revelation of Jesus? And will you just give me that heartburn? And, and, and Lord, will you just literally just open up the pages of your scripture and show me yourself? I mean, what would it look like if you started your time in the word with the author? What if, what if you spent as the whole time you're reading with the author? What if you would ask the author for his enablement to actually live out the reality of his word? See, as we come to the thing, as we come to the text, we're not just doing this arbitrarily or or outside of of God himself. We're coming to the text with him, which is incredibly exciting to me. This would be like studying Shakespeare with Shakespeare sitting next to you. That's a horrible illustration that this would be like, I need a good illustration, but eating chocolate with a chocolatier, I don't, I don't, (laughs) that's not a good illustration either. But wouldn't it be phenomenal to to actually get into the book with the author himself? Which really brings me to the second takeaway, which is how do we handle confusing passages? Because you got to admit, as you come into this book, there are some confusing sections. (laughs) There are some confusing sections. And if you're like, no, there's not, then I need to come talk to you and you can explain it to me. But, but there, there are some things in this, thing, in this book that are, they are, they're hard to understand. They're, they're hard to wrap your mind around, you know, like greet one another with a holy kiss and Hershey wasn't, you know, invented back then. So apparently we're not talking, you know, like, here's some chocolate, you know, that it's like, all right, come over here and we'll smooch a little bit. And, you know, but what does that mean practically? See there, and okay, that one's maybe not as hard, but there, there are some very difficult passages. Wouldn't it be interesting, think about this. So oftentimes we run into a hard passage and we, the first turn that we have is to a commentary or to a sermon or, you know, YouTube it or whatever. Wouldn't it be interesting if we took the difficult passages of the book and actually just went to the author and asked him what it meant? And what if we would take the word and just be like, God, I, I don't understand this. Could, could you give me wisdom? Could you, could you clarify what this means? Uh, I had a Bible scholar once say that if you ever come across a difficult passage that you don't understand, he says, I encourage you to do this. Get a, get a notebook dedicated to hard passages and in the notebook, write down the date, write down the passage and in the, in the best words that you can, try to explain why it doesn't make sense and then just let it sit. And he says, I promise you there will come a time maybe within a day, maybe in a week, maybe in 10 years, that, that you'll come across something or God's gonna bring some insight to you and suddenly it's all gonna connect and it's gonna go, and it's just gonna open up and you'll look and you're like, oh, I understand that. He goes, when that happens, go back to your notebook and put the date and say, figured it out. But try, look back at why it didn't make sense and you'd be like, that is so, it's so simple. Of course it's this. Isn't it amazing how God can give wisdom and insight? There's, I cannot tell you how many passages I've come to where I've gotten tripped up and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand this. And yes, I could read the commentaries and yes, I I could wrestle, you know, you know, looking at YouTube or, you know, some sermon or asking some wise person, uh, almost anybody other than me, what the passage means. And yet there's something beautiful that happens when I go to the author. And again, sometimes it's something I hear, sometimes I, something I've read, or sometimes it's just while you're in the shower or mowing the lawn and just you're thinking and, and these thoughts connect and you're just like, oh, I think I get it. That to me, that, that's the kind of stuff that gives me a heartburn because it shows me God has given me wisdom. God has given me insight. And I know he is because I'm not that smart. So if you're dumb, you are, you're in a privileged position because you smart people, it's a lot harder to study scripture I promise you, but if you're dumb, do you really, and you're just dependent on the Lord, it is amazing how he will give you wisdom. So can I encourage you read and study the Bible with the author? When you come to confusing passages, involve him in his own word. He knows what it means. And whether it's through a sermon or through a book or through a conversation or just through other times or things that you're studying, he can put those pieces together and give you wisdom and insight in the knowledge of his word. I love that. But can I encourage you, even just this week, as you're reading and studying the Word, don't just come into this as an activity to check off. Would you come to this thing, again, to know Jesus and to be transformed by truth, but while you're in the activity or the process of reading and studying, would you do that with the author? We have an amazing privilege. Well, let's pray. How, Lord, we do want to know you through your Word. And Lord, we thank you that you are yelling at us through every page of scripture. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just come to to your book as a have to, that we would come to your book as a get to. And Lord, I pray that we would realize that that not only are you the author and every page is declaring who you are, but, but you actually want to be involved in our engagement with your word. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Thank you that, According to you, it is better what we have in this moment with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit than what even the disciples had as they were walking the road with you. Lord, let us not take for granted the fact that we have the God of the universe dwelling in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would be your disciples who abide in your word, that we wouldn't just pop in and pop out and just open it for Sundays. and But Lord, that we would sink down into, that we would hold tight to, that we would refuse to depart, that we would have this inward enduring personal communion with you through the word. And would you give us wisdom and revelation? Would you give us understanding and comprehension? Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing in these days. We give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.